Father in heaven, as we open your word, I pray that we will recognize that you have given us the greatest gift that we could ever have when you gave us Jesus. And Lord Jesus, you gave up heaven to become one of us, to live and then die for us so that we would one day live with you again forever. We can't comprehend that wonderful gift, but we thank you for it and we praise you for it today. Please guide our minds as we think about how precious that gift is. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Now there's a text that I'm going to talk about for just a moment. It's not on your screen, so you need to just open your, the screen in your mind. Every one of you have memorized it over and over again. It's John 3.16. Let's say it together. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Now, there are a couple of words I want you to focus on there. God so loved, that's one word, loved, that he, what? Gave his only begotten son, that whosoever, what? Believeth. I heard Gary say something about the things he believes in. He believes in prayer. He believes in church schools. Do you believe what God said and what he did? Whosoever believeth in him should have everlasting life. That's what I want you to focus on today. Today is December 26th. It's the day after Christmas. What's happening in Tallahassee and all around the country today? People are rushing back to the mall to give back the gift that they got because they didn't like it. Or they're exchanging gifts. Dear folks, we have been given the gift of everlasting life. It's a precious gift. It's a treasure. Let's grasp it and hang on to it. Not let it go. Don't exchange it for something else. There is nothing better than the gift of Jesus and eternal life. Never forget that. Jesus gave us his life. He left heaven and more treasures than we could ever think about to come here and live, show us how to live, teach us what God is really like, and then to die for us, to pay the penalty for our mistakes. I invite you to turn to the book of Genesis. It's way back at the beginning, and we're going to look at a uh, the story once again. Genesis chapter 2, verses 7 and 9. Now, I'd like you to open your Bible. I know it's going to be on the screen, but open your Bible. Genesis chapter 2, verses 7 to 9. Genesis chapter 2, verses 7 to 9. And the Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living soul. And the Lord God planted a garden eastward in Eden, and there he put the man who he had formed. Then drop down to verses 15 and onward, 15 through 17. 
And the Lord God took the man and put him into the garden of Eden to dress it and to keep it. And the Lord God commanded man, saying, Of every tree of the garden thou mayest freely eat. You can eat of any tree of the garden you choose. Now, amongst the trees in the garden was the tree of life. And if you had access to the tree of life, you had everlasting life. You had eternal life. Because that life, that tree, gave you what you needed to live forever. So God was giving us, mankind, a perfect garden. He was giving us the gift of eternal life. And the sad thing is that man chose to disobey God. Amongst the instructions God had given was you don't eat of a certain tree. You leave that tree alone. Let's now go to Genesis chapter 3 and look at the story a little more. Now the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field. I'm reading Genesis chapter 3, beginning at verse 1. We're going to read right on through verse 7. Now the serpent was more subtle than the beast of the field, any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said unto the woman, Yea, hath God said, Ye shall not eat of the tree of the garden, every tree of the garden? And the woman said unto the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree of which is in the midst of the garden, God hath said, Ye shall not eat of it, neither shall ye touch it, lest ye die. And the serpent said unto the woman, Ye shall not surely die, for God doth know that in the day ye eat thereof, then your eyes shall be opened, and ye shall be as gods, knowing good and evil. And when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was pleasant to the eyes and a tree to be desired to make one wise, she took of the fruit thereof and did eat and gave also unto her husband with her and he did eat. And the eyes of them both were opened and they knew that they were naked and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves aprons. They traded eternal life for eternal death. But God had a plan, plan B, and I'm glad he did. We're not reading verse 15, but in that 15th verse, he promised that he was going to put enmity between the devil and his followers and, and the woman in her seed. And that was a promise of the Redeemer. God was going to send someone to, to save them from their loss. They lost eternal life. <coughs> they lost eternal life. They lost the garden. And we'll notice that in the verses that we will soon read. So they chose to exchange eternal life for death. And as far as that was concerned, it, it would have been eternal death if Jesus hadn't made us a plan B. So they were exchanging their gift of eternal life and access to the tree of life and the Garden of Eden, exchanging that for being driven out. And that's what we're going to look at next. How sad that was. They traded the gift of eternal life 
or death. That's not a very good choice. But you know, all through life, we make choices which also can be life and death choices. If we hang on to sin, what have we done? We've chosen death. Not just death, but eternal death. We make choices all through our life. <coughs> How thankful we are that God has given us a gift. Genesis chapter 3 now, verses 22 and on through to 24. And the Lord God said, Behold, a man has become one of us, to know good and evil. And now lest he put forth his hand and take also of the tree of life, and live forever. Therefore the Lord God sent him forth from the garden of Eden to till the ground from which he was taken. So he drove out man and he placed at the east of the garden of Eden cherubims and a flaming sword which turned every way to keep the way of the tree of life. God was not going to let sin be a dominion forever. He's going to cut that off. I cannot have them be disobedient and have access to the tree of life. So he served them the first eviction notice. They were driven out of the garden and the angels were put there to guard it. What a sad day that would have been for Adam and Eve. They chose to leave, to lose the garden to lose their, their innocency, their robe of light. And they accepted, rather than that, another gift. They did the same thing that's going on all around the country now. They exchanged a good gift for something that they wanted. You have an auto dealer here in town who says, you need to come and trade cars. You need to buy what you want. How sad that is. Too often we decide to change, exchange the gift that God gives us for something that we want. And that is because the devil entices us just like he enticed Adam and Eve. God had told them they weren't to eat from that tree or they would die. They chose to rebel, they chose to disobey, and they lost the gift of eternal life, the access to the tree, the Garden of Eden. If it weren't for what Jesus has done, and that's what we're remembering at this season, they would have been eternally, they would have died eternally. Cain, the second child of Adam and Eve, likewise made a bad choice. He rebelled against what God asked him to do. And he got so upset because Abel did what God asked him to do, and that still happens in our world today, too. If you're doing what's right and somebody else next to you is not doing what's right, that same kind of feeling develops. And his followers, Cain's followers, didn't do much better. It became a, a terribly wicked world as time went on. But the good news is that there were those who came back to serve God. In Genesis chapter 4, Verses 25 and 26, something took place that turned things around. Genesis chapter 4, verses 25 and 26. If Cain shall be avenged sevenfold, 
Ah, yeah, I'm looking at chapter 4, verses 25. And Adam knew his wife again, and she bare a son, called his name Seth. For God said she hath appointed another seed instead of Abel. See, Cain had killed Abel. And uh, now she has another son. And to Seth, to him also, there was born a son, and he called his name Enos. Then began men to call upon the name of the Lord. Sounds like there'd been quite a falling away. But when Seth came on the scene, it began to turn to God again. And that was good news for Adam and Eve. They were kind of happy about that. But life was hard. In Genesis 5, verse 29, things were not what they should have been. They called, the, the man Noah was, came along, and they called his name Noah, saying, This same shall comfort us concerning our work and our toil of our hands because of the ground which the Lord hath, hath uh, cursed. God cursed the land, then along comes Noah now, and God says about Noah, he's, he's, he's a different man. I, uh, I guess he must have been a, one of those following Seth. Eve was one that uh, God found to be faithful. Moving right on into chapter 6 now. Chapter 6 and verses 1 and onward. We're going to move through several verses here in Genesis chapter 6. It came to pass when men began to multiply on the face of the earth, and daughters were born unto them, that the sons of God saw daughters of men, that they were fair, and they took them wives of all which they chose. And that's kind of a sad picture when you think about it. I mentioned you, you, you go after something that you want. Sounds like they were taking wives from, other, from one another. Uh, maybe by violence. Maybe, maybe by deception. Maybe by subtlety. Maybe by enticements. I don't know. But it says that they took themselves wives of all that they chose. Not just a wife, but wives. Things were going kind of bad. And God looked down and said, it's not good at all. I don't like what's happening. They took them wives of whoever they desired. And verse 5, God saw that the wickedness of man was great on the earth and that every imagination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. All he could do was think about evil things. Verse 7, the Lord said, I will destroy man whom I have created from the face of the earth, both man and beast and the creeping thing and the fowls of the air, for it repented me that I have made them. Sad picture. God says, I'm sorry I made man. So man in that day had chosen to do things that God had not set up. How did God set it up in the beginning? One man, one woman. He didn't bring Adam three wives. He didn't say there's all kinds of them I can get you, I can make you a half a dozen, Adam. He brought him one. 
So that kind of thing was going on in a big way. In fact, God says that the imagination of their hearts was only evil continually. They took wives of whoever they chose. Man became so wicked that God said, I'm going to wipe them out. I can't, I'm almost sorry I made them. How sad. Genesis 6, verses 11 and 12. The earth also was corrupt before God, and the earth was filled with violence. And God looked upon the earth, and behold, it was corrupt, for all flesh had corrupted his way upon the earth. All flesh had corrupted themselves. And God said unto Noah, The end of all flesh has come before me, for the earth is filled with violence through them. And behold, I will destroy them with the earth. Make thee an ark of gopher wood, brooms shalt thou make in the ark, and it and shall pitch it within and pitch it without. Make a, a big boat, make an ark. In verse 17, And behold, I, even I, bring a flood of waters upon the earth to destroy all flesh, wherein it the breath of life from under the heaven. Everything that is in the earth shall die. Verse 18, But with thee, will I establish my covenant. And thou shalt come into the ark, thou and thy sons and thy wife and thy sons' wives with thee. Noah obeyed. He built the ark. I can imagine the length of time we, we gather is about 100 or 120 years that he was in the process of building this boat. I can imagine during that time that he was pleading with mankind, turn around. I'm making a boat. God's going to bring a great flood. He's going to bring water down out of the sky. He's going to... And they began to mock him. That's foolish. It's never rained before. There's never been water come out of the sky. It always waters from down underneath. God has his own irrigation system you're just out of your tree. Something's wrong with you, Noah. Noah said, well, that's what God told me. He was, the wickedness was so bad that he was going to destroy everything. He says, you can come into the boat. God is even going to bring the animals in. You can come in the boat and be saved. They just laughed him to scorn, thought it was a big joke. No way, we're not going to get in there. You're out of your mind. And poor Noah, for years, worked on that boat. He did exactly what God told him to do, and still they would not listen. They were not all that different. They chose death over life. If you get in the boat, you can be saved. If you don't, everything is going to be destroyed. Genesis chapter 7. And the Lord said unto Noah, Come thou and all thy house into the ark. For thee have I seen righteous before me in this generation. Verse 4. 
for yet seven days, and I will cause it to rain upon the earth, forty days and forty nights. Every living substance that I have made will I destroy from off the face of the earth. I'm going to wipe it all off, Noah. Verse 7. So Noah went in, and his sons and his wife and his sons' wives with him, into the ark because of the waters of the flood that God had predicted. And of course, if you follow the narrative on, not only did they go in, but uh, the animals started coming. You would think that would impress the people who had been mocking. You would think that would have directed their minds that something different is happening here. If God said it was going to be raining from the sky and there's going to be a great flood, maybe it might happen. You'd think they might begin to think that way, but they didn't. They still did not listen to what Noah had to say. It was a life and death choice for them. Life and death choices. Someone has said the Christian life is nothing but a bundle of choices. I think that's pretty accurate. Our life on this earth is a bundle of choices. The choices we make either are for God or for Satan. There's only two sides. Satan does his best to entice us to think what he has to offer is better, that God's holding out on us. How sad. We aren't any different than Adam and Eve. We aren't any different than the people in Noah's day if we choose the wrong path. How sad that is. The children of Israel approached the promised land. As they approached the promised land, God said to, uh, said to Moses, you've been a good man, you've led these people, you've been faithful. He says, I, <clears throat> I, I want you to pick 12 men, one from each tribe, and send them in to examine the land so that they can see that it is a land of milk and honey. It's what I promised. I want you to send these men in to these spies and to, and to look over the whole land. And so Moses did. He selected one from each tribe and they made their way over into the promised land. And they... Uh, Examined the land carefully. They uh, came back with a report. When they reached back to camp, the spies began to report. You'll find that in Numbers chapter 13. You'll open your scriptures a little farther down the line. Numbers chapter 13 you'll find the story happening there in that chapter. Numbers chapter 13, and we're going to pick the story up at verses 27 and onward. Gen uh, no Numbers chapter 13, verse 27. These spies came back, and they told them and said, We came into the land whither the thou sentest us, and surely... It floweth with milk and honey. And this is the fruit of it. They were told to bring back some fruit from it. 
Nevertheless, the people be strong, and they dwell that dwell in the land, and the cities are walled and very great. And moreover, we saw the children of Anak there. Well, the children of Anak, this was the giants. We saw those there. And when that happened, of course, the people began to say, well, we can't possibly go in. There isn't any way that we could do that. And then you move down to verse 30, and Caleb stood up and said, hey, no, wait a minute. Let's read it. And Caleb stilled the people before Moses, and he said, let us go up at once and possess it, for we are well able to conquer it. We're to over we can overcome this. But the men that went up with him said, we're not able to do that. They said, no, we can't do that. And they began to rebel. I'm glad for people like Caleb and Joshua. They did their best to persuade the people that it was very possible. Ten of those spies said, no, we can't do it. It's a big place. Uh, it's, it's an impossibility. We can't handle it. There are giants there, and those cities are walled and high walls and thick and they're fortified to, to, to kingdom come I guess anyway there's no way we can do that in fact we even look like grasshoppers compared to them they're giants I'm glad for the, uh, the uh, response that Caleb and Joshua gave that, that's true they are they, they're, they're giants they're alright but the Lord helped us through the Red Sea. He helped us all the way through the wilderness. He will help us. He fought with the Ammonites and the Moabites. And we won, and even though we were small, there's no reason we can't go on in. Let's go. But the people rebelled, and they would not go in. How sad. They murmured against Moses and Aaron, who said, we can go in. And they went on to say, would to God that we had died in the wilderness. Why did God take us out of Egypt anyway? I think we ought to select a new leader and we ought to go back to Egypt. We ought to take and give our gift of the promised land back. And we're going to trade it for Egypt. What a trade. No, no, you don't want to go back to Egypt. And Caleb and Joshua did their best to persuade them. Pick it up at verse 8, chapter 14, verse 8. If the Lord delight on us, then he will bring us into the land, into this land, and give it to us, a land which floweth with milk and honey. Only rebel not against the Lord, neither fear ye the people of the land, for they are bread for us. Their defense is departed from them, and the Lord is with us. Fear them not. Don't be afraid of them. We can do this. We can go in. Let's take the, the land. Verse 10. But all the congregation bade stone them with stones. And the story and the glory of the Lord appeared in the tabernacle of the congregation before all the children of Israel. They were ready to kill Caleb and Joshua. When they were standing up saying, God will be with us. We can go in. We can collect it. Let's go. No, let's go back to Egypt. Let's get another leader. Let's go back to Egypt. How sad. 
Folks, that was a life and, life and death choice. God finally said, all right, you want to go back in the wilderness? You wanted to die in the wilderness? We'll see that. We'll see to it that you get to do that. And you were worried about your children, how would they handle the, the, the war and fighting these giants? They're the ones that are going to go in. You're going to die in the wilderness. Wow, what a choice. What a choice. I like verse 11. God speaks again. The Lord said unto Moses, How long will this people provoke me? How long will it be ere they believe me? We started out our talk this morning with John 3.16. And one of the words I asked you about to remember was the word believe. Whosoever believeth in me will have everlasting life. God could have said, whoever will believe in me will go into the promised land. That's How long is it going to take before they stop rebelling and stop provoking me and start believing me? For all the signs which I have showed them, and he could have gone back and said, the Red Sea, the manna, the, and on and on and on. Water from the rock. How long will it take for them to believe me when I say I will take them into the promised land? Moses, stand back. I'm just going to smite them. And Moses said, no, no, Lord. The people around will, will, will think, what, what happened? This, what, this God is not strong enough to take them in. He brought them out of Egypt, did marvelous things, but he can't take them in, so he's going to kill them in the wilderness? No, Lord, Lord do, do that. Talk about intercessory prayer, Gary. Moses interceded for the children of Israel. Lord, don't do that. Pardon them one more time. And God then finally said, I will. I'll pardon them, but they will all go back into the wilderness and they will all die there except the children who they were concerned for. Those children will make it into the promised land. Brothers and sisters, we are on the verge of the heavenly kingdom. We're right at the border of the promised land. Are we going to believe Jesus? Are we going to keep the gift that he has given us of everlasting life? The promise is ours. He will take us in. He will deliver us from this world of sin and wickedness. Let's not exchange that gift for what the devil has to offer. You mentioned, Gary, earlier that young people are caught in different temptations. Every one of us is caught in that mess. It's so easy for us to slip into grasping something that would actually keep us from the kingdom. When will we start believing God and taking the gift that he has given us that we've talked so much about this holiday season? When are we going to accept that gift and believe it's ours and grasp it and treasure it and hang on through all of this thing? This, this pandemic is going to end. It may not be the end of things, it may be more troubles coming after this. We know there are times of trouble coming, but 
this one has astounded us how it can shut down our churches and everything else in such a quick manner. But I guess there are bigger things yet to come. Do not despise the gift. We're on the border of the promised land. We must hang on to the gift and not allow anything, not let Satan's temptations cause us to want to go back and exchange it for something else. There is nothing better than the gift that God has given us. Let's say it again. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. There's another text I want you to go to. I want you to turn to a text which gives us tremendous hope, tremendous assurance, tremendous promise. It's found in 1 John chapter 5. 1 John chapter 5. Verse 11, and this is the record that God hath given to us eternal life. And this life is in his Son. What did we just say? God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son. He that hath the Son, whoever has accepted the gift, he that hath the Son hath life. Eternal life, folks, hath life. And that life is in his Son. He that hath the Son hath life. What a wonderful assurance. Have you accepted the gift? Are you hanging on to the gift? Are you treasuring it? Or are you thinking of taking and trading it off? You cannot exchange it for anything better. There is no better gift. You mentioned Gary earlier. There is none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. Peter said that in the book of Acts. If we have the Son, we have everlasting life. Are we going to believe that? Are we going to hang on to that? Are we going to treasure that? How special the wonderful gift that God has given us. The people in Noah's day didn't do any better than Adam and Eve. They didn't get in the boat. Israel, when they got to the promised land, didn't do any better. They said, let's rebel and go back to Egypt. Here we are. We're right at the promised land once more time, folks. And we've been given the gift. We've been singing about it for, the, for a whole month. We've been treasuring the story. And what a wonderful story it is. Let's not exchange it. Let's not trade it. There is no better gift than the gift that God has given us. It's eternal. I know we don't know what eternal life is. We don't. Some people have said, you read it in some of the notes in your Sabbath school lesson, if, if I had to live eternally the way I've been experiencing with the pain and all the rest, I don't want that. Folks, there's better life coming. When I give a funeral, I often like to tell them God's tomorrow is a whole lot better than today. We have no concept of what eternal life in a perfect world would be. I don't know what perfect health is. I've got a heart that keeps beating, although the doctors tell me it's, uh, it's skipping too many beats. 
I've had two hips replaced. I don't know what it is to be perfectly healthy. Do you? I have aches and pains. Now, I'm just a young fellow. I'm only 84. And I have a few aches and pains. But, you know, I'm still active. I still can breathe. And I can still walk. And I can still talk, as you can hear. Probably talk too much sometimes. But what a wonderful thing it will be to have eternal life with no sickness. And the children of Israel, when they had went through the wilderness, do you, have you read what God did for them? Their, their clothes didn't wear out. They didn't normally get sick until they got to belly aching about wanting more meat. Then they got sick. They got to complaining, and so the Lord sent some snakes in. They got bit. But most of the time, they were pretty well cared for. God promised them that if they obeyed him, that he would not put on them any of the diseases that they had in Egypt. The people in Egypt must have had boils. Those who have researched it tell us that the diseases, the diseases we face today, they, still, they had them back in Egypt. And God didn't give any of the Israelites those diseases while they were going through the wilderness. Wow. And we're on the verge of the promised land and we'll never get sick in heaven. You'll live forever without any pain, without any sickness. There won't be any funerals. Won't need a bunch of doctors. Jesus is there. Something happens when Jesus comes. I think of the song. One sat alone along the highway begging. His Eyes were blind, he could not see. Then Jesus came and opened his eyes. Jesus went through villages, cities, and when he left, there was not a sick person in the village anymore. Did the crowds follow him? If the crowds followed Jesus while he was here as a person on earth, don't you think it'll be a joyous privilege to follow Jesus there eternally? I want to be there. I'm going to lose this thing if I keep knocking around. Jesus has got an eternal life planned for us. He, he's given it to us. He gave, by the way, he's always going to be a man. Can you comprehend that? God is always going to be a man. The God Jesus, he took our flesh. He's going to have the nail prints in his hands. He'll be able to look and say, that's how much my salvation costs. And we've been studying in the Sabbath school lessons that Jesus is the greatest teacher. We get to sit at Jesus' feet and learn forever. And even the angels cannot comprehend all that Jesus did in this plan of salvation. We're going to study that forever. I don't want to trade my eternal life to you. Let's hang on to it. Let's not take the gift back. Let's not listen to the enticements that Satan throws at us but let us accept the gift. The gift that God gave us because he loves us. Let's not ever doubt him. Trust his word. Someone was sitting who was not a, a, a Seventh-day Adventist Christian sitting at the table with me yesterday and we had Christmas dinner together. And He said, uh, Leon, he says, I have a question. He said, why is it that Christians are so fearful with this pandemic going on. Christians shouldn't be afraid. We should trust God. 
We should believe him and believe he's going to take us through. Now we know in this old sinful world that one time or another, if we live long enough, we're all going to die. I mean, that's just part of this old sinful life. But we need to walk and trust Jesus. We need to believe what he says. He says, lo, I am with you. How long? Always. Even through the pandemic of COVID-19. I will be with you through that. He didn't say we wouldn't ever get sick down here. But he says, if it happens to you, I'll go through, through it with you. Oh, what a wonderful Savior is Jesus, our Lord. More, more about Jesus. Oh, that we might love him and never let that gift go. Let's not trade it. Let's pray. Father in heaven, every one of us <clears throat> has daily choices to make. And Satan wants us to choose the wrong path. We often do. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for the gift of eternal life, the promise and the assurance that you've given us that we can go in. And I, I want to hear those words. Come, you blessed of my Father. Inherit the place that I've made for you. Come in. I want to serve you at my table. It's a big, long table. And I will serve you personally. What a wonderful Savior. Lord Jesus, thank you for coming and giving your life for us. And as we've been singing and talking about it all the last month, the wonderful gift, help us to treasure it again and to hang on to it, trusting you, believing you and the promise you've given us that you are coming again, that there is a place for us. It has our name on it. And you want to welcome us home. You'll walk with us until we get there. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Once again, folks, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life.